Go ahead, have a seat. Would you take your Bible with me and turn to the Gospel of John this morning? We're going to look at verses 35 through 42 in John chapter 1. Um, and we're going to spend some time dissecting exactly what we see here. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, I'd love for you to, uh, to pick one up in the back there. There's a handful of copies with hard black covers on the, on the back uh, table right outside the door. Um, pick one of those up if you don't have uh, God's Word in front of you this morning. And then on the table in the back, underneath the, the offering box, there is a, there are a, there's a stack of, of new Bibles back there. Uh, we want to make those available to you. If you don't have a copy of God's Word or uh, if you need a new copy of God's Word uh, because uh, it's worn out or something of that nature, go ahead and pick one of those up. That's our gift to you this morning. Additionally, if you are sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with a friend or a coworker, a family member, a neighbor, something like that, and, uh, and they don't have a Bible, um, pick one of those up and take it and give it to them. It would be a great, a great honor for us to, to be able to supply you with what you need as you share the gospel with, with uh, those who have yet to believe in the name of Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verse 35. If you have a copy of the, the hardcover Bible in the back, the, the text will be on uh, page um, 1054. Uh, for everyone else, you're going to have to make do on your own and find John chapter 1, uh, verse 35 through 42. Let me read this for us. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to, him, said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Here at Buffalo City Church, we state our, our mission simply like this. We exist to make disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's probably not unfamiliar to most of you in this room. But when we talk about a mission and state it like that, we exist to make disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, we're not talking about our personal agenda. What we're talking about or clarifying is what we believe to be the mission of the church, local churches all over, uh, every local church, uh, exists to call men and women into discipleship, into deeper relationship with the God who created them. And so that's, that's just how we state the mission, but we believe that this is a, a universal command. It's not, not one that's exclusive to us at Buffalo City Church. But the reality is we want to see men and women and boys and girls grow in a few different things as a result. So when we say uh, we exist to make disciples of, of Jesus Christ, we want several things to, to, to be happening in the lives of those who make Buffalo City Church their home. 
We want to see men and women and boys and girls growing in their understanding of what it means to be a worshiper. We, we want men and women and boys and girls to grow in their understanding of what it means to be a, a learner. And we want, other, uh, we want to be those who are known for our self-sacrificial service to one another. If we flesh those out a little bit more, we want to be worshiping God with all of life. This is an important component of our worship Sunday morning. The Sunday morning gathering of the saints is an important uh, component of, of worship, uh, but it does not represent the sum total of our worship. In fact, we as people should be growing in our understanding of what it means to be proclaiming and declaring the infinite worth of Jesus Christ, not just here, uh, but uh, everywhere. Um, with our lips in our lives, that would be speaking the truth of who God is through and who Jesus Christ is and declaring his worth, but then we would be living in light of that also. We want to be learning and growing and maturing and an understanding of who God is and who we are in light of who God is and, and understanding further what, what God requires of us as those who have been welcomed into his family through Jesus Christ. And then we want to be people who are serving others. Again, self-sacrificially, following the example, following, the, following the, the, the path that was carved out for us by the person of Jesus Christ. We want to be serving others inside and outside the local church. Not just those who sit to the left or right, but those who, uh, those who um, have yet to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And we want to demonstrate love for neighbor in response to God's love for us, poured out for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And so when we get to this passage this morning, we see three clear things. And we're introduced to John the Apostle's understanding of discipleship. So far in the gospel, we've seen and have the, the question has been answered for us in two different, particularly two different ways, the Apostle John's answer in verses 1 through 18, and then John the Baptist's answer uh, in verses 29 through 34, the answer to the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? So again, we have some robust understanding. We begin to understand clearly that John the Apostle sees that Jesus is the eternal Word of God who took on flesh. He is God Himself. He has always existed in perfect relationship with His heavenly Father. In eternity past, Jesus Christ is uh, the Word uh, and, uh, and is God. And then we see John the Baptist bearing witness. John the Apostle writes about John the Baptist's testimony. And he says, and it can be summed up in that 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 phrase that we find in verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is God's perfect provision given to us in order that we and all kinds of people might come back into perfect relationship with, with God uh, through, through Jesus Christ. And so when we get to verse, verses 35 through 42, we turn away from that question, who is Jesus, and we begin to say, okay, if that's who Jesus is, then what, is, what does it mean to live like, uh, live in response to that? What is our response to the reality that Jesus is the eternal word of God who took on flesh? What is the response to the fact that Jesus is God? What is the response to uh, the fact that Jesus is God's 
perfect provision uh, to make uh, to be a sacrifice for our sins in order that we might come back into relationship with God. So, who is Jesus? That's what we've been exploring up until now. And now, this morning, we turn the corner into what is the response to who Jesus is? What should our response be to who Jesus is? And so, this morning, uh, we see two men, two disciples of John the Baptist. One, we're told, is Andrew. Uh, the other is unnamed. It might have been the Apostle John himself or, or someone else. We don't know. But we see, as a result of what, uh, in this text, these, the actions of these two men, we see three simple things that are true about discipleship. Three simple things that are true about discipleship. First, a disciple hears. Secondly, a disciple follows. And third, a disciple brings others. As we spend time exploring this text this morning, I'm, I'm praying, as this week as I'm prepared, I'm praying that we wouldn't just leave that because we give those three things, right? Like, and they become maybe a checklist for us. Like, hey, I'm doing these. These are great assessment tools. If you're asking yourself, am I a disciple? Am I a follower of Jesus? Asking yourself the question, uh, am I hearing the gospel with regularity? Am I, am I following Jesus closely? according to what he taught and, and, uh, and following him and following his example in my life? Or uh, am I bringing others to Jesus? Those are great assessment tools. But what I don't want this morning to be is just a, 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 a bunch of information flowing over you. You say, that's nice. Write some things down. Shove it in your Bible. Go home. Never think about it again. Open up your Bible six months later. See this page there. Throw it in the trash and say, oh, I don't even remember what that is. And throw it in the trash. That's not what we want. We want formation to happen this morning. We want to be formed as a body, understanding better who the person of Jesus Christ is, and then what our response is as a result. So, please consider here that, uh, that there are three things that a disciple is. He's a hearer, a follower, and one who brings, brings others. God has spoken to us through his word. And as we've been exploring, even in verses 29 through 34 last week, the, the testimony of John the Baptist and the testimony of the Apostle John in verses 1 through 18, we begin to understand now how we should respond. So let's take each of these three things in turn. First, a disciple hears. A disciple hears. The two men, look in verse 35 with me. The two men that, that we meet here uh, are two disciples of John the Baptist. They're following John the Baptist. They're listening. They're probably baptized into the baptism of repentance, which John the Baptist brought. They're, they're likely listening to and hearing all that John the Baptist is communicating about this one who is going to come Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so, this is the next day after uh, the day that was recorded in verses 29 through 34. It says, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. And they've heard his testimony, and he says it again. He says, behold, the Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God. 
So the question we have to ask is, if you look down at verse 37, the two disciples heard him say this, and then this is the second point, but, and they followed Jesus. So the first thing, though, is that they heard. And what does the disciple hear? What must a disciple hear? A disciple hears who Jesus is and what he does. A disciple hears who Jesus is and what he does. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So this is the first thing we must realize. For the first step for discipleship, and this, this may seem extremely simple, but the first step of discipleship for any person throughout all of history is, is to hear. What do they hear? The good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel. Friends, you cannot be a disciple and not have heard the gospel. The gospel that and the gospel of Jesus Christ, what Jesus Christ came into the world to accomplish. So you and I, our, our sin and our rebellion against God came in the form of violating his standards. He set up perfect standards and, and we violated those standards. That rebellion made a separation between you and God. And, and so you stand in this position though, separated from God. And no amount of doing right, no amount of, uh, of family heritage, no country of origin, no amount of working hard, no amount of being kind could bring you back into relationship or to cause this separation to be mended. Because of your sin, you were God's enemy. You were God's enemy. It was like, I'm a pretty good person. It was okay. No, you were an enemy of God. And the wrath of God was set against you, set to be poured out on you for all of eternity in hell. And so Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, came into the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, comes into the world. And he died in your place and in, in my place in order that the wrath of God might be diverted off of us and onto him in order that our sin might be forgiven. When we turn from our sin and trust Jesus for the forgiveness of that sin, we are welcomed into the family of God. This is the good news. This is, this is where you stand. This is your position before God. You are a son or daughter of God. You've trusted Jesus and you've turned from your sin. Trusted that the wrath of God has been diverted off of you and on to Jesus Christ. When we talk about discipleship, uh, we have to consider that everyone is a disciple of something or someone. You are continually giving your time and your attention, you're giving your worship, we might say, to things in, in the world and around you. We want to be disciples of Jesus Christ, but we're always being marketed to or hearing about how great this consumer product is or how effective this diet plan is and how it's going to change your life. Or uh, a lot of this recently, you're hearing about how this politician will usher in this amazing new age of prosperity and we'll, we'll all, all our worries will be gone. Or about how 
celebrities are down to earth and they're relatable and we should emulate them or something. Those are false gospels because you're going to be tempted, you and I both will be tempted to follow those things. We'll be tempted to, uh, to hear about them and to, to, to think about their merits and actually to devote a lot of time and energy and attention to them. But they're false gospels because they can't offer you even a small portion of what they claim to be able to. The first step in any discipleship process is hearing. And the first step in being a disciple of Jesus Christ is hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. And in order to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, we must hear the gospel. Many people have heard the gospel and have rejected it. But for those who have heard and understand, they respond by doing what these two men do, by following. So again, verse 37, the two disciples hear hear John the Baptist say, Behold the Lamb of God, and then the the natural next step is they follow Jesus. So that's the second thing we learned, the disciple follows. Disciple follows. What does it mean to follow? Uh, we shouldn't take this, the simplest idea is that we would uh, we go where another person goes. Simple concept. The verse simply says, they followed Jesus. Physically followed him. Jesus observes the two guys that are following him and he asks them the question. He says, what do you seek? What do, what do you seek? Now, I think we can take this to mean, why are you following me? Why are you following me? And these two men respond with a question to the question. And they're asking Jesus where he is staying. Maybe an interesting question to ask in, as a result. But, but they ask the question, and I think it's loaded with a couple of things that we need to observe. Jesus says, what are you seeking? And they say, Rabbi, where are you staying? The two things that I think we can observe from that question they ask is they call him Rabbi, first of all. And then they ask him where he is staying, implying that they intend to go where he goes. So, Rabbi, let's think about both of those things. Rabbi means, and John tells us right here, it just means teacher. So, these two men believe that, based on the testimony of John the Baptist, they are to learn from Jesus. They are to learn from Jesus. And and this is the, the role of a disciple. If we are to call ourselves disciples, we must, there must be a component of learning associated with it. The the word here that we see in the New Testament that's translated disciple has a couple of primary definitions. They're they're not unrelated to one another. The first is one who engages in learning through instruction from another. So, I mean, like someone who is sitting under the teaching of another, like a pupil or an apprentice or a student. The other definition that we see is one who is rather constantly associated with someone who is, uh, who is teaching a particular viewpoint or worldview. It should be a disciple 
like we translate it, or an adherent. So the two men are willing to leave John the Baptist behind. They're, they're John the Baptist's disciples, but when Jesus comes by, they, they follow Jesus instead. They're, they're willing to leave John the Baptist behind because according to John the Baptist's own, own testimony, one who is greater than him has come. So, simple logic, why would we settle for the lesser when the greater is present? Why would we settle for the lesser when the greater is present? It's a key understanding of discipleship. The second thing that their reply shows us when they say, where are you staying? Is that, again, they intend to go where Jesus goes. And the accounts of the life of Jesus given to us in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, those four accounts, the word follow is frequently used. And the word in the original language conveys a couple of ideas. Uh, first, to follow is to align oneself with the beliefs of another. So a disciple is following because they're uh, putting themselves under the teaching of another. And, but then the second understanding is just that simple concept of physically following. They're physically following Jesus. In the four Gospels, we should see the word follow to mean both of those things. Aligning, aligning yourself with the teaching of Jesus and following him in the way that he goes. So we see Jesus invite these men to come with him. He just says, come and you will see. Their desire to follow Jesus and to learn from him and to go where he goes is sincere. And it's seen in Jesus' response, come and you will see. They don't go home and meet up with Jesus later. They say, yeah, you're staying there. Cool, we'll go home. We'll come up with you later. We'll catch up later. They go to the place that Jesus is staying themselves or, and, and stay there themselves. And I think we can glean here from this particular thought is that Jesus never rejects a genuine follower. Jesus never rejects a genuine follower. He always welcomes those who line himself with his teaching and who are willing to go where he goes. A, a comedian once said, I couldn't find the exact quote, um, but he said something like this. I'm not going to follow my dreams. I'm just going to ask where they're going and meet up with them later. It was a comedian, guys. <laughs> it's, I think, funny. <laughs> but it's, it's how many of us follow Jesus. There are big interruptions in our discipleship often. We say, I'll just catch up with Jesus later. I'm young, but I really want to get into a good college. I'll just catch up with Jesus later. I have young kids, and so quiet time is a premium. I'll just catch up with Jesus later. My career is starting to take off, so I need to devote more time to it. I will just catch up with Jesus later. If you continue to just say, I'll catch up with Jesus later, 
And then maybe years later, we come crawling back, and Jesus is gentle, he's kind, and he welcomes the wayward person back to himself. But the Bible, we're shown a better way. These men, they show us a better way. Many, many men and women came to see Jesus in Scripture. That's why I'm convinced that the passage that Blaze read, when Jesus turned and he saw a great crowd, he didn't say, hey guys, love you, awesome. Like He says something really tough. He says something really hard. If, if you don't hate your brother, your sister, your mother, your father, True disciples understand that home is where Jesus is. This is what these men are saying by going and staying with him. True disciples understand that home is where Jesus is. And that might mean nowhere to rest here on earth. Matthew 8, Jesus meets a scribe. And the scribe says, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And again, what does Jesus say? He meets him with a hard saying. Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head. The two men count the cost of following Jesus. They count the cost. If there is one who is greater than even John the Baptist, greater than all of those who came before John the Baptist, and there will be never anyone who is as great as this one, how could we do anything but follow him? Then we see one of the two men doing, again, what is the logical next step. He invites another. So this is the third thing we learn about a disciple. A disciple brings others. We're told that one of the two men is Andrew. And Andrew realizes the importance of following Jesus. So he follows Jesus and then he goes and finds, first thing he does, he goes and he finds his brother, Simon. And based on John the Baptist's witness about the two disciples and the two disciples' encounter with Jesus, Andrew sees that Jesus is the Messiah. He says this to his brother, Simon. He says, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Jesus is the one who would deliver his people. Jesus is the one who is sent from God to accomplish what God has promised to his people. And when Andrew brought Simon, look at verse 42. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And Peter means rock. And when God renames someone, this happens on several occasions in the Old Testament, when God renames someone, it means, or it has, dramatic implications for the future. Jesus renames him. Consider that God renamed Abram to Abraham. Because Abraham would become the father of many nations. Despite the fact that when God makes the promise that he will become the father of many nations, he doesn't even have his own biological heir. Here, Jesus renames Simon. He calls him Peter. In the future, Peter will become very important in the establishment of the church. Although he's not very rock-like for quite a while, and in a lot of instances he seems like anything but a rock, When God chooses people, 
He does so not because of who they are, like in the case of Abraham or Peter, but because of what they will become through his gracious work in their life. And this starts, friends, it starts with the faithful witness of his brother Andrew. He brings him to Jesus. So, in conclusion, disciples hear about Jesus, they follow Jesus, and they bring others to Jesus. These are discipleship basics. This is just 101 discipleship. This is not advanced course. This is just what we see in the lives of these two, these two men. And again, like I said earlier, we can actually like just assess our own discipleship based on these things. Am I hearing the good news of the gospel with regularity? Am I following Jesus? Am I living like Jesus? And am I bringing others to Jesus? So in conclusion, I just want to ask two questions for you to take away and consider yourself this week. There's a lot more to consider here, but we're quickly running out of time. So let me, just here's two bonus questions. The first two. Bonus questions, I'm not going to flesh these out, but ask yourself these things with, be serious about it. Am I going about the Christian life alone? Am I going about the Christian life alone? Okay, so I'm going to say one thing. There's a danger here, friends, that you are dramatically spiritually isolated despite the fact that you sit in a room with 40, 50 other believers this morning. You are in danger of doing the spiritual life alone. Your, Your spouse may be a Christian but you may be doing this, the, the Christian life alone. Take serious consideration about this question this week. Second question, who am I inviting to hear and to follow? Who am I inviting to hear and to follow? Okay, so this next question I want to talk a little bit about more. Am I continually hearing about who Jesus is and what he has done? So all people need to hear the good news of the gospel. All people not, not, just those who, not just those who have yet to believe, but all people all of the time need to be hearing the truth about who Jesus Christ is. Jesus took the sin of the world upon himself, and through his work, you and I can experience the forgiveness of sins, and many of us in this room have. But the reality is that there are hundreds of men and women in, and boys and girls in our community in Jamestown who have yet to hear or who have only heard polluted versions or who are trusting or relying on their own strength to make them right with God. They need to hear it. And for you, if you are in Christ, you need to hear. You need to hear the gospel. It's not just pray a prayer and get back to whatever we were doing the moment before. A disciple is someone who is continually listening for and to the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is your life. Paul says this in Colossians chapter 3. Jesus Christ is your life if you are in him. So we need continual reminders about who he is and what he has done. We continually need to hear the testimony of who Jesus is and what he has done. So that's the first question, or really the third question. But are you continually hearing about who Jesus is and what he has done? The last question I want you to consider is this, and I think really, really bear down on this, please, this week. Take moments and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you where this is taking place. What are the limits I've placed on following Jesus? 
what are the limits I've placed on following Jesus? So here's what I mean. Andrew and the other disciple followed Jesus. They didn't head home. Again, they didn't promise to catch up with him later. The cost would be huge, but immediately they sell out. So, where do you draw the line in following Jesus? If your comfort was threatened, is that where you would draw the line? Physically, emotionally? If your, if your comfort is threatened, you feel comfortable in this place, this question is designed to make you feel uncomfortable. If your reputation was threatened, would you draw the line there in following Jesus? If, if your way of life, the way that your life unfolds on a day-to-day -day basis, if that was threatened, would you draw the line there? If your livelihood was threatened, if that paycheck didn't hit your account every other week, would you draw the line there? If your life was threatened, would you draw the line there? All of those things would be threatened and most of them would be taken away from these two men and from Peter as they follow Jesus. Friends, it's getting riskier to follow Jesus. It's getting riskier to follow Jesus. There are agendas in our world that are solidifying against Christ followers. I'm saying this to alarm you. God, we need boldness and courage to address these things and to say, there is no line. I will follow Jesus into whatever. Cultural forces are mounting against those who call themselves Christians. It's not uncommon throughout history. It is not uncommon, despite our experience, that people have been faced with the decision do I follow Jesus or do I have my rights stripped away? Do I follow Jesus or do I go to jail? Do I follow Jesus or forfeit my life? It's not uncommon. Just because you and I haven't faced that decision doesn't mean that it's not real. Is the risk too great? Is the cost too high? Do we still want to follow Jesus after he says something like, whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Do we still want to follow Jesus? These are difficult words to hear. We might be tempted to downplay them. But we shouldn't. So this morning, may we be a church who's made up of people who are disciples who make disciples, hearing, following, and bring others to Jesus despite the cost. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's pray.